Before I get to my next guest, Jay Revel, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's X-X-I-O-U-S-A.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now next on the tee with me is Jay Revel. Jay is a golf writer. He's written a wonderful book titled The Nine Virtues of Golf. That Tallahassee Magazine, oh, by the way, said is both agonizing and joyful, which we'll talk about here in a minute. It got many five-star reviews out on Amazon.com. Jay graduated from Florida State with his undergraduate degree in political science and his master's degree in applied American politics and policy. During his time at Florida State, he was an aide to Commissioner John Daly. He was then the executive director of the Tallahassee Downtown Improvement Authority. Moved on from there to be Vice President of the Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce. And I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jay, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Jay. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great, man. Got uh, my daughter uh, all bathed up, headed down for the night. A uh, little rainy afternoon here in Tallahassee today, so I uh, didn't get to play in my Tuesday night skins game, but other than that, life's pretty good, man. 
Good for you, my friend. Jay, I kind of want you to to let our listeners know more about you. I know your grandfather was a head golf professional, so you grew up around the game. But talk about how the game got its hooks in you. Yeah, uh, he would certainly be the person who uh, is responsible for that. Uh, My grandfather was a head golf professional, a little nine-hole course uh, that I grew up on uh, in the the booming metropolis of Havana, Florida. Uh, It's about 20 miles north of uh, Tallahassee, kind of the last outpost before you get into Georgia. And uh, we had a little nine-hole course there. I grew up on the uh, just off the fourth tee box, and me and my brother and our next-door neighbor pretty much woke up every morning in the summertime and Played golf till dark and, uh, you know, raided a few Dr. Peppers from my grandfather's shop up there and had us a, a really wonderful, uh, upbringing. And we all got, uh, pretty addicted to the game at a, at a really young age. It was a, a, a just a, a really great way to grow up. And, uh, and, you know, as I, I continued to, you know, grow with the game, I, uh, I, I migrated to the maintenance crew, you know, uh, eventually up there, started mowing greens when I was about 14 years old and uh had a lot of fun getting to know the game from that perspective at the same time my my uncle was uh his name's ben bates uh some people might have heard him back in the day but he was on the pj tour for about five years and kind of had the dubious distinction of being the all-time um uh starts and cuts leader on the uh corn ferry tour but uh great guy he's still still running the club uh over in pensacola but yeah, going out on the road and watching him uh, when we were teenagers was a, an awful lot of fun, and I got pretty competitive in the game as a junior. And um, you know, when I went off to college, I, I kind of put the clubs up for a little bit. But uh, on the other side, once I got you know some gainful employment, uh, the golf bug came back with a vengeance, and I've been uh, playing as much as I can get away with ever since. So it's uh, it's a real passion for me, and something that uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to enjoy. An awful lot, and uh, and even more so, I, I love writing about it. Uh, a few years ago, I really started uh, making a habit of, you know, putting my thoughts about the game on paper, and I'm lucky to have a few folks that like to read it from time to time. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Your book, again, it's titled The Nine Virtues of Golf, and it's, it's different. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way I took it, Jay, is more like a collection of essays. Talk about That's how right. your yeah. book is different from everybody else's. Yeah, you know, I, I tell everybody I write J. Revel stories, and uh, those those are stories about uh, the way that golf interacts with my day to day life. And when the funny thing about it is, is uh, the more I start putting those out in the world, uh, the more I find there's an awful lot of people who share very similar experiences to mine. I, I write you know essays about what it's like to try to you know sneak away from uh, uh, the house with a baby and, you know, play a few holes before dark. Uh, I, I write about how much I enjoy playing with my dog, Leon, uh, at my side here at our local club. Uh, I write a lot about the things I like to look for when I travel for golf. I write a lot about, uh, you know, the title of the book comes from an essay called The Nine Virtues of Golf, which is sort of a, an ode to the golfer I, I, I wish I was. Um, and, uh, I just try to, you know, pour my, my soul, the golfing soul that I have out onto the pages. And, you know, I've been so fortunate to have people write me notes and emails and letters from around the world who have 
read those stories and connected with them and say, you know, I, I feel like I'm walking those fairways with you. And, um, I, I understand the, the conflict of having to be, uh, someone who works and helps provide for his family and, uh, you know, tries to squeeze in a few holes from time to time. So I've got a pretty deep, uh, golf obsession. There's no doubt about it. And every day I feel like, you know, my, uh, the realities of my world come into conflict with how much I love the game. And, um, it's, it's kind of become the focus of a lot of my writing. And, um, you know, I also have done, um, uh, quite a bit of reporting work for, outlets like the golfers journal and golf.com and the Keller magazine and some others. So, uh, I, I don't just write J rebel stories, but, uh, those are the ones I probably enjoy, uh, spinning out the most. And Jay, talk about your grandmother and how she inspired you and took you to many of your junior golf events and, and why she's the reason why you titled the book the way you did. So talk about her and the yeah, influence that yeah. she had on your life. Uh, she's, she's a wonderful woman and, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a very blessed young man, uh, to still have her, uh, in my life and uh, a big part of my life. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, I said Gramps was running the shop and mom and dad were working hard trying to, you know, keep food on the table and pay for some of those entry fees to his junior tournaments. And, uh, my grandmother, a lot of times would, would take us to tournaments and events and, uh, was always there to root for us and, and just a really special woman. Um, uh, when I think back to my, my early childhood, I can remember her reading me, uh, stories at night. She had this book of virtues and she would read this, uh, you know, read these stories to us, a lot of these sort of classic children's tales, uh, so to speak. And when she would read those, she would, she would not just talk about them through the lens of, you know, this is the kind of things we should aspire to be, but, She'd always put a little golf twist on them too, which was really fun. And, um, you know, 20 years later, uh, I was, you know, putting the pen to paper one day and I was thinking about her a little bit. And, uh, I just always can still hear her voice when I'm out playing golf. You know, we all get a little upset from time to time when the ball doesn't bounce our way, but I can kind of hear her whispering in my ear saying, you know, don't forget, you know, you need to conduct yourself uh, in an appropriate way while you're out here on the golf course. And uh, that was just a, a huge influence on me. And uh, hopefully I can, I can live up to that golfer. She wants me to be still. And uh, you know, it helps when I can kind of write down those thoughts a little bit. And Jay, Tom Coyne wrote the foreword for your book. And Tom is another tremendous writer, a New York times bestselling author. His books include a course called Scotland, a course called Ireland. Talk about your relationship with Tom and how you got him to do the forward of the book. Yeah, Tom is a, a wonderful guy. Uh, I have just enjoyed his writing so much over the years, enjoyed getting to know him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's very involved at the Golfers Journal. So, um, I've, I've connected with him through that venue as, uh, as well as just, um, you know, really through, through Twitter. Uh, it, Twitter, golf Twitter is a magical place, as you well know. And, uh, it's amazing the connections you can make there. A few years ago, we, we have a big, a really cool, uh, literary festival here in Tallahassee. It's called, uh, Word of South. And, uh, this is when, when Tom had just launched, uh, a course called Scotland. Uh, I had read the book and just was really moved by it and reached out to him and said, Hey, you know, uh, I think I could get you a spot in this, uh, literary festival that, uh, I was a little involved with. And, 
we made that deal work. So he came to town, uh, and we ended up uh, playing a little golf for a few days and getting to know each other. And he got to sell some books, had a great time here in Tallahassee. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And when, um, you know, I got ready to, to put my book out, I, I sort of sent him the, the first copy of the manuscript and, and said, Hey man, I, I would really love your feedback on some of this. And, you know, if you're up for it, um, you know, maybe you could even, you know, send a few words for me to help me frame it up. And so he was very kind to do that for me. And, uh, I, I, I will always treasure the words that he put, uh, to paper there about, uh, about my work. And, and that's just, you know, a really great, nice thing that, uh, he didn't have to do that, but he's nice enough to do it. And I've always found him to be the kind of person that makes time for people who uh, share in his love for the game. And uh, that's one of the reasons I think he's uh, such a great writer about it. Jay, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I want to get your thoughts on the Open Championship, starting with something that you tweeted out on Sunday. And my son and I were saying when we saw Colin Morikawa getting ready to hit his first tee shot on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, uh, you know, here. Um, we looked at each other like, what the heck is he wearing? And why would you pick out that shirt or allow someone to pick it out for you? Because if you win, you're going to look back a few years from now and think to yourself, what the heck was I wearing? Because that shirt is not going to be a part of open championship history. I don't know. It seems like you might agree with us on that. Talk about uh, your thoughts on what we saw Colin wearing. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, well said. You know, golf fashion has always uh, had a lot of conflicts with, I think, what most people would consider stylish. Not everyone. Uh, you think of, you know, certain players across the history of the game that have had a lot of style. Uh, I think about Arnold Palmer, you know, Payne Stewart, uh, even, you know, stood out. But, um, you know, these days, th- these clothing companies aren't doing themselves any favors. Um, the ones that really dominate, uh, you know, our viewing screen on Sunday afternoons, whether it's Nike or Adidas or, uh, you know, some of these, uh, some of these big companies, they, they just, they continue to pivot to, to stuff that's just flat out ugly. I don't, I don't really know any other way to put it. And, uh, that, that shirt he had on, I think he will, he will, you know, regret that. I, I always joke, you know, with my friends, if you go back and, uh, look at my pictures from when I'm 12 years old or look at me now and, Probably when you look at me when I'm 75 years old, uh, you're going to see a pretty consistent uh, wardrobe. You know, uh, uh, a lot of khaki shorts and uh, you know solid color polo shirts that look pretty pretty crisp no matter what age you are. And I just always hate to see somebody come trotting out in a shirt that uh, isn't going to age very well with time. I mean, think of how many majors we can look back on. You know, they were showing the highlights of Greg Norman when he won there in, at St. George's in '93, and he had on the most loud and obnoxious, you know, uh, sharp shirt that just was pink and orange and kind of speckled. And, you know, it's like, man, that's, that's the picture they're going to hang of you in the Hall of Fame one day, uh, and show on the golf channel, you know, 25 years from now. So you better, you better get something you like and look good in. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of these clothes are falling well short on that. Yeah. I got to say, I love the videos on your YouTube channel, Chronicles of a Golf Tribe. And one of the places you went is a place we've talked about on here on this show recently with a good friend, Mitch Lawrence, and that's Aiken Golf Club, which is a wonderful historic course just down the road from Augusta National. Talk about why it's so special. Yeah, that's, that's uh, one of my favorite places. You know, like I said in my book, uh, The Nine Virtues of Golf, there's a chapter in there 
that I wrote or an essay in there called How to Travel for Golf. And, you know, for me, if you're going to take a golf trip, you want to go look for places that you're not going to find anywhere else. You know, don't go play the golf course in South Carolina that could just as well be in any other state. Go find the one that's got a lot of character uh, and a lot of uh, history and a lot of charm. Those are the kind of places that I go to seek out. And uh, the Aiken Golf Club just has all that in spades. It's, um, it, it, it just, when you walk on the grounds there, you, know, you kind of pull into this parking lot that's really adjacent to this road. It's it not even really a parking lot. It's just spaces on the street. And it feels, it, it's got a very, um, uh, you know, British uh, feel to it in that it, it feels very connected to the town. The downtown's only, you know, maybe a half mile away up the hill. And down here at the bottom, you have this beautiful golf course with just rolling hills, and double greens, and unique features. And the clubhouse just looks like it just got plopped right out of the English countryside. And it's got cracks and crevices and uh, creaky boards. And it's, it's exactly the kind of place that I love to go and hang out. And the coolest thing about it to me is you can plop down $50 at the desk and, and, and play all day long. You know, the day that I spent there, uh, that's featured in that video, uh, from a few years ago, um, uh, was, uh, I was up there actually visiting to go watch the Augusta National Women's Amateur that week and, um, told my friends, we've got to go play Aiken. I've read it all about it. It's just fantastic. I'm hearing such good things and, uh, gonna, you know, Mitch and I might have even talked about it at some point now that I think back on it and, uh, went there and just had just an outstanding experience. You know, you, you tee off on number one, you kind of crest this hill and you go down on this just wonderful, um, South Carolina countryside adventure. And, uh, it's exactly the kind of place that I think about when, um, you know, I, I, I dream, daydream about moving to, you know, some little golf obsessed town that, uh, got a good course that, that's aching for you. And Jay, you've also been to a place that I'm dying to go to as well. And that's Sweetens Cove, which is a, you know, one of the top courses in the country, but it's unique in that it's a, it's a nine hole course without many frills around it, sort of in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, but a heck of a great golf course. Talk about what you think about Sweden. Yeah. I, I, if you haven't been there, folks, I would, I would highly recommend you, uh, make yourself a, a venture out to the big city of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, because that's a magical place. In fact, I, I would, you know, you were kind of recounting my career a little bit, uh, you know, during the intro, Chris, and, um, somewhere, uh, during that, uh, career adventure, uh, I actually took a bit of a detour. Say, so I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, it was the first time I ever played Sweet Cove. I was up there for a wedding in Chattanooga and I told a couple of pals to, Hey, we got a car a couple hours before this thing and slide over here and see this golf course. I'm just hearing amazing things. And this was still, you know, really in the early days. Uh, of, of their success and we got out there and it was like, it was, I, you know, I, I felt like I'd walk into the field of dreams. It's just this incredible view from this parking lot where there's all they have is a, a shed for a clubhouse, you know, shed you can go buy at Lowe's or Home Depot. And, um, I just was blown away from the minute I stepped foot at the place and you tee off and you just go on this, you know, this walkabout, uh, designed by you know, Rob Collins. Tad King, and he, you can sense that they poured everything they had into it. Uh, and then, you know, that they had this ownership in it, that they had this desire to make this obscure golf course 
something you would never forget. Um, and everybody I know who goes there has a, a pretty similar experience. But, you know, for me, I remember I was so moved by it. I remember coming back to work Monday, and I was sitting in a meeting. And, you know, of course, I don't remember what the meeting was about because I wasn't paying that much attention. But by the time the meeting was over, I looked down at my notebook, and I had scribbled all these notes about my time up there. You know, probably, you know, I think we may might have played uh, the, first, you know, the, the full nine holes and then gone back out about four or five holes more, uh, knowing we had to get back to this wedding. But I had scribbled down all these notes, and, I had, I noticed I had written a couple one-liners and the next thing I know, I've got this essay that I wrote about it. And, uh, if you've ever seen or followed the guys at Sugarloaf Social Club on uh, Instagram, they're some good friends of mine. And, uh, I sent them a copy of it and said, Hey, I don't, I don't really know what this is. I don't really know what to do with it, but it's, it's some feelings about a, a great place for golf. And what do you think? And, and they liked it. And so they said, well, why don't we publish it on our site? And we'll see how it does and, you know, we'll see, see what people think. And they published it and an awful lot of people read it and I started getting feedback and Rob Collins reached out to me himself and I got this feeling. I said, man, this, that's pretty cool. I, I, I think I'd like to do this again. And so, uh, from that day forward, I, I, I became a golf writer. I, I started, you know, venturing out and every time I traveled, I put pen to paper and tried to tell some pretty compelling stories. And so Sweden has a, a really special place in my heart. Um, I haven't been up there in a couple of years, need to get back. But uh, every time I think about you know, how lucky I've been to you know, travel and uh, pursue golf riding, I think back to that, that first time I ever played there because if it weren't for that round, I, I might not have ever found that talent. Okay, one more before I let you go. And you've got a wonderful podcast called Mid-Am Crisis. And you recently got to spend some time with 2003 Open champion Ben Curtis, a guy who seemed to come from out of nowhere when he won that Open championship. But he really had a successful amateur career in his home state of Ohio. He would go on to win a a few more times on the PGA Tour, and he actually contended in a couple of Opens beyond that in the Open championship in 07 and 08, and then finished tied for second in the 08 PGA championship. Talk about your conversation with him. Yeah, I, I, thanks for pointing that out, Chris. I, uh, I launched the podcast, uh, Mid-Am Crisis back, uh, in October of 2020. And, uh, it was just something I sort of started on a whim. I, I said, you know, I want to have some, uh, a new outlet to have you know, in-depth conversations with my friends from the golf world. Uh, and, and the funny thing about that is in the golf world, and I'm sure you can attest to this, that, that friendship circle tends to grow over time. Uh, and, uh, I've been fortunate to make some really cool connections, uh, through writing about the game and, and to meet some really interesting folks. And the podcast has become a wonderful, uh, tool to facilitate further conversations and relationships. And so, uh, I reached out to Ben a couple of weeks ago, you know, knowing the Open was coming back to Royal St. George's. Uh, I think he kind of gets a, a bit of a raw shake. You know, people kind of chalk him up as a fluke winner. But again, to your point, you now he's a, four-time winner on tour and was on a winning Ryder Cup team for the USA and had a lot of other close calls and uh, a very competitive career, which is, uh, you know, not easy to do. And, and the fact that he won that major uh, in his first start in a major, first start in the British Open, uh, I just have always found that to be an incredibly compelling story. So uh, I reached out to Ben and said, hey, would you like to come on and talk about that a little bit? And 
uh, he spent about an hour with me and, and it was so neat is he went and took me through, you know, a day by day account, uh, of that week. And I, I, as funny and, and, and interesting and gripping as all of the details of the tournament itself were, I think the thing that was so interesting to me was that he took his wife into London for a whole day of, you know, tourist activities two days before the tournament started because he didn't know if he'd ever come back again. Uh, and I just always thought that, you know, probably played a bigger role than you think, probably put him in a, in a nice relaxed mindset, but, uh, it was a great conversation and, um, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, testament to the kind of conversations that I try to have on the show. We've had some really fascinating guests, uh, of late and, uh, continue to try to rack those up. So, uh, if you like hearing, uh, you know, really in-depth conversations, uh, with people who have, uh, a real passion for the game, that's a good place to find it. I'd love to have uh, people tune in and, and give it a listen. Well, to that end, Jay, talk about where they can find the podcast and then how they can also stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on your website and then follow you on social media as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, the main home for most of my things uh, online is jrevel.com. That's about to go through a little bit of a renovation soon, but uh uh, it's got, you know, pretty much a good place to find everything all in one stop. I've got a new, uh, newsletter out as well. If you go and search Mid-Am Crisis on Substack, uh, I'm actually publishing some regular essays and musings under that same Mid-Am Crisis name, uh, there on a weekly basis, which has been fun. And you can find the podcast, Mid-Am Crisis, on anywhere podcasts are available. And, uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter. I'm just at jrevel. Um, and, uh, I'm usually spouting out about golf on there at least a few times a day. And, um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram too, where I'm at jrevelwrites and, uh, try to post some, some fun musings there as well. So I would love to connect with anyone. Um, that's my favorite part about, uh, yapping about golf online is all the cool people we get to meet and, uh, new friendships. That's what this game's all about, you know? Indeed. Well, Jay, it's certainly been a, a thrill to have you as part of the show. You're a lot of fun, my friend. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Hey, anytime, man. And uh, I, we can always talk fashion sense or whatever else you want to get into. So uh, <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Chris. And, uh, I'll, I'll be looking forward to the next chance we get to chat, buddy. As will I. Jay, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You too, Chris. Be well, bud. You too. Take care, Jay. That's Jay Revel, and his last name is spelled R-E-V-E-L-L. And again, uh, The Nine Virtues of Golf is a wonderful read. Like I say, five stars, a lot of a lot of great five-star reviews out there on Amazon.com. And uh, as you heard, Jay is a, you know, I love, I love the enthusiasm in his voice. I love the positivity. I love the stories. I love, you know, how family gets involved in the game as well, his grandfather, his grandmother, and then, uh, Great videos out there on his YouTube channel. We just talked about a couple of the great golf courses that uh, that he has uh, chronicled. So there's a lot more out there. So I, I highly encourage you to subscribe to his YouTube channel. And then uh, we will certainly get Jay back on the show again soon. 